Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A day late and a dollar short? Come on now. You know me better than that. I brought exact change. It's high noon for Friday, May 28th on Saturday, May 29th. 2021 follow the podcast on the telegram messenger app at t.me slash i'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash i'm reasonable you can also find me from time to time on gab at i'm your moderator and the merch site is www.cancelcouture.com and i don't say it very much but please if you like the show turn one friend onto it one single solitary friend Find one redeemable communist in your life and give them the show. Who knows? They might come back to America. Today is the 129th day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party. The patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth, Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. You all bet on the fact that you are smart enough and good enough to just simply be right all the time by following your feelings. And you lost that bet big time. Now, first of all, happy Memorial Day weekend to all of the veterans out there and to all Americans 
who have lost family members defending our country. It will always be good to honor the sacrifices they have made. And a special weekend, warm welcome to all of the redeemable communists out there who might be at a nice barbecue or pool party this weekend and you showed up an hour early and walked in anyway and the host was playing my show and then all of a sudden you're listening to it and there's some guy, his voice is coming out of the speakers and it sounds like he's telling you in particular that all your ideas are stupid and evil and that, hey, maybe you have a thinking disease which has rendered you completely dumb and useless. And you're like, wait, how did this happen to me? Well, here's the thing, Kami. You should thank that person because you are now one small step closer to becoming an American again. And that's something you should be really thankful for. In fact, people actually being Americans in the time before you figured out everything about politics, that's actually how that pool got there. You know, the one you're looking at and about to jump in, that food on the barbecue, that's how all that got there. By Americans doing American things and not communist things like you're doing, Kami. But I do hope you enjoy it. And of course, I hope you thank that host for having such good taste in podcasts. <laughs> also, you know, I haven't mentioned this in a while, but I was thinking about it. You know, my goal, and I, I hope that the redeemable communists out there can actually think about what I'm saying here and what this means. My goal, commies, is not to convince you that I am right. I have no desire for you to agree with me about everything I say or even most of the things I say. And the truth is my job could be done without you agreeing with any of the things I say. Okay. What I want is for you to stop believing that you are a hundred percent right. And I want you to recognize how little you actually know about the things you talk about, whether they're race issues or gender issues or the environment or COVID or elections. The thing is, you don't know anything more than what you heard someone say on TV. And the fact that you will defend those opinions to no end, apparently, just rejecting friends and family members and the founding principles of the country and everything you learned as a child and any sense of morality, just wash it all away because the people that you, for some reason, trust on the television tell you it's one thing and not the other thing and that only bad people want to be the other thing. And you know, Kami, that you aren't bad. 
So you're not going to go believe the bad people thing. That really is what you're doing. And there are enough commies and enough people in the party of false decorum that that practice is actually a really big problem for society. So I'm not trying to convince you that I'm right. I'm just trying to convince you to stop listening to the people on television and assuming that makes you right. Don't go back up what they say by reading an article in the Washington Post or the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or Vox or the Daily Beast or any of that crap. Go online and see if you can prove or falsify every single claim they make. Just for one article, choose one article that you think is true. And go see if you can support the claims the person makes. Then find an article that says something opposite to what you believe and see if you can prove or falsify the claims in that article. Go research the actual things they're saying. Then you can strip out all of the silly opinions and all the dumb buzzwords like the very violent insurrection. I read a tweet this morning there's this there's this tweet that has been I don't know, it's been retweeted thousands and thousands of times and likes and blah blah blah. But it's from this insane middle-aged woman that went on some vacation with I guess a female friend of hers and she found out that the woman didn't believe in the insurrection. And she canceled the rest of vacation and went home and said she's never friends with this woman and that that is where you have to just draw the line. Well, lady, you're the one who's wrong. That's the craziest thing. Like, this is complete and total adherence to a narrative without finding out whether or not the narrative's correct. And you'd think by this point, these commies have seen enough of their deeply held beliefs, ostensibly, completely fall apart, that they would see the train coming, you know? Like, they would look ahead and be like, hey, you know, maybe I better not hold on to this one belief quite so tightly because, you know, that thing about calling people who talked about the Wuhan lab conspiracy theorists, man... You know, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe they actually did know what they were talking about. But these people do not even have that thought, I think. I mean, I would assume that redeemable communists eventually have that thought and they're like, whoa, damn, those people were actually right. And like, even if they don't want to admit it at first, like they might take their time. They might take a couple of weeks just to like let it sink in, make sure that they're that they're right and the news isn't going to tell them something different tomorrow. Like Rachel Maddow is going to come back out and be like, oh, you know what? They just did another study and it turns out (laughs) it was a big conspiracy. So it was a conspiracy and then it was the most likely scientific answer. But now it's back to being a conspiracy again. So, hey, look at that, commies. For the first time, that thing that you believe that was then proved wrong later It's exactly like you wanted to believe in the first place. Look at that. 
The craziest part about the public knowledge right now is that there is virtually nothing that Joe Biden voters believe that happens to be true. And I know that that sounds like an overbroad generalization. But tell me something that they're actually right about and that they can explain. Climate change? They made a hero out of Greta Thunberg. Right? Their biggest climate change event every year involves Leonardo DiCaprio flying a private jet with models and hookers on it to go meet the world's richest people so that they can give money to his climate change thing. Got it? Does that sound to you like saving the planet is the priority? I mean, what are we talking about here? These people invented 55 extra genders and now have fat drag queens as characters in Blue's Clues. So that your kids get an early awakening to sexuality. Or what do they call it now? Like non-traditional sexuality? Is that drag queen non-binary? Is it important to let three-year-olds know about that? What are Joe Biden voters right about? Were they right about Russian bounties? Nope. Were they right about Russian collusion? No. Were they right about the P-tape? No. Were they right about Trump not legitimately winning in 2016? No. In fact, they argued that he didn't legitimately win in 2016, but they didn't even have anything to back up the argument. They just had this vague idea that Russia affected something and that because Hillary Clinton, quote unquote, won the popular vote, that she should be the president. We need to change the system so that something like this never happens again. That's not what's happening right now with the election challenges. No one on our side is saying we need to change the system so that the thing we don't like doesn't happen again. We're actually saying that we need to follow the system because what happened was clearly and obviously illegal and extra legal and lawless in addition to the actual cheating that happened. The election wasn't even held by the election rules. This is what an illegitimate election looks like. This is what an illegitimate president looks like. Biden voters don't have any of that. I said to a, uh, a woman a few weeks ago who I was having a discussion with, she had never met a Trump supporter in her mind. And of course she has. Those people just don't tell her because they know that she will try to exact social revenge on them. But she said something about the Q thing, and I looked at her and said, you know, I would bet 95% of the people who have familiarized themselves 
with Q posts know more about politics than every single Biden voter. And I'm not kidding about that. People who research the subject matter that is referenced in the Q posts. This has nothing to do, by the way, with any belief in a conspiracy or even a theory. Okay, you don't need either of those things to actually research and understand the issues and events referenced in the Q posts. You don't need to decode anything. You don't need to match times. You don't need to do any of it. It requires absolutely no belief whatsoever. You just look at the issues and events being referenced and research them. You don't actually require the posts at all. You could have somebody pull out all of the different issues ever mentioned in Q posts and just give you a list of things and say, hey, research all these. And if you did your job well in researching them, you would come to a whole lot of conclusions about all of the corruption and crime that has taken place in our country over the past decades. You don't need Q. You don't need conspiracies or theories. You don't need any of it. It's just information among other information. You could simply research all those issues and events and you would know more than every single Biden voter on the planet. Okay? Because nobody, nobody could possibly cast an informed vote for that man. Again, I know, overbroad generalization. Oh, that's so extreme. You can't say that. There are plenty of smart people on the left. Really? How come none of them can explain anything about what they believe to the satisfaction of anyone? At some point, they will run into blatant hypocrisy, total immorality, or a complete fake world version of events. I know they'd say that about us too. But then again, we're not the ones who cut off conversation and try to kick people out of society for disagreeing. So if you want to know which side is actually secure in their knowledge, it's not that hard to figure it out. And when I say total immorality, I don't just mean from my perspective. I mean from their perspective. Right. And I know that there are some like insane sociopath commies out there who will try to argue that pedophilia is just a sexual orientation and that it should be somehow respected or at least not punished or something. Right. As long as the, per- the people aren't acting on it. Now, that's an extreme left view. But it's a real one that people have. And then, of course, it's on a sliding scale where they will actually deny that bad things are happening when one of their heroes is accused of it. Now, you can show them videos of Joe Biden grabbing and petting and fondling and sniffing little children. But then they'll say that 
Trump was worse because he said that if you're powerful enough, women will let you grab them by the pussy. Now, that is a crass thing to say, and Donald Trump definitely did say it, not denying that at all. It also happens to be true. Sorry, it is true. And I know these people. I lived in Hollywood for 18 and a half years, and I worked in Hollywood nightlife for over 15. I have seen all of these people. I have met them. I have met these sorts of women. It's not a knock against all women. And if you think it's a knock against you as a woman, maybe you should think about why you would take that personally on behalf of all women. Is that what it is? But it's not all women. It's some women. So why would you feel the need to defend it? It is a real behavior that really happens. Some women in those environments will let men do whatever they want because they want something out of that man. And men do tons of immoral things in their pursuit of women too. This isn't one-sided. just happens to be something true. But they will believe every accusation ever made against Donald Trump because they hate Donald Trump. And then they will use those accusations as the basis for their hate of Donald Trump. It becomes circular. They hate him because he did these things, they think, and they know he's guilty of those things based upon how much they hate him. I was talking about this last week in reference to the New York Attorney General and Cy Vance trying to go after the Trump organization with criminal charges, with a criminal investigation. Everybody believes that Trump will be guilty of whatever they say just based on the fact that they hate Trump, and then they will use the presence of the criminal investigation to justify their hatred of Trump. But you can actually look at Joe Biden and listen to Joe Biden with your own eyes and ears. And he was giving a speech yesterday, and this happened. I'm especially honored to share the stage with Brittany and Jordan and Nathan and Margaret Catherine. I, uh, I love those barrettes in her hair, man. I tell you what, look at her. She looks like she's 19 years old sitting there with her, like a little lady in a race car. I love those barrettes in her hair. Man, I'll tell you what. She looks like a 19-year-old. A little lady sitting there with her legs crossed. That is what the enfeebled usurper of the free world said in a speech while looking at a girl who can't be more than seven years old. There are pictures of the girl from the event. That is, at best, dementia. But it's much worse than dementia, and we know it's much worse than dementia because we know who Joe Biden is. Joe Biden's daughter, Ashley, had a diary. And in that diary, she wrote about Joe Biden taking inappropriate showers with her, her words, at nine years old. 
Okay? That's Joe Biden. Hunter's behavior isn't an anomaly. The apple didn't fall far from the tree. I'm not sure the apple has actually fallen. (laughs) It's just one giant disgusting tree in that Biden family. That thing that he just said is legitimately sick. Why in the world is he thinking about a seven-year-old being a 19-year-old and commenting on the fact that she has her legs crossed? Okay? That's deranged. So Akami can hear that and just not care. They'll be like, oh, well, he's just a sweet old man and like giving a compliment to this little girl. What? What? How much proof do you need to see that Joe Biden has very sick behavioral patterns when it comes to little children? I'm not saying anything more than that, okay? Because I don't have proof of Joe Biden doing anything more than what I have proof of him doing, obviously. And that proof is available to everyone who wants to look. They've made compilation videos of all the times Joe Biden is inappropriately fondling children. Right in the context of his official duties, right? These are during photo ops. He says all sorts of weird things. He was talking the other day about George Floyd's daughter wanting to sit on his lap. He's a sick, sick man. And I actually didn't play that whole clip at the beginning of that clip. And you can find it on Twitter or wherever else. It's on the info stream, t.me slash I'm your moderator. At the beginning of that clip, he says he's honored to be appearing there with Governor Northam. Now, if you don't know who Governor Northam is, that's the governor of Virginia who a few years ago had to deal with the very brief fallout of him appearing in a picture from a Halloween party, we're told, where one of the two people pictured was in blackface and the other person pictured was in full Klan regalia. And Northam said he didn't actually remember which one of them he was. That's a lie, obviously. Could you ever imagine seeing a picture of yourself from a Halloween party even decades ago? I'm 42. So let's say I go back to a first Halloween party in college, right? When I was, well, I guess I was still 17, but 17, 18 years old, 25 years ago. That's the best I can do. There is absolutely no way I wouldn't know which person was me. Right? 10 years from now, I am confident I will still know which one in a picture of people is me. I would have to completely lose control of my mental faculties to be unsure about whether or not a picture I know I was in 
which person I was. How does that happen? Well, it only happens by dishonesty. And why would you be dishonest about that? Well, because both options are terrible. You're either in blackface or dressed like a Klansman. And I suppose there are opportunities and arguments to be made about which one is worse. But I think that we all kind of know which one is worse, don't we? The blackface thing, well, you could say it was a different time. I'm no different than Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel. Right? So which one do you think Ralph Northam was? And if he can't tell from looking, it's probably the one whose face is hidden. (laughs) Right? But Joe Biden is honored to be on stage with that man, just as he was honored to be politically mentored by an actual Klansman, Robert Byrd. Isn't it interesting how this happens? Isn't it interesting that these people, these communists, will defend Joe Biden while he says he's honored to appear with Ralph Northam and they'll defend Joe Biden knowing that he was mentored by a Klansman and they'll defend Joe Biden knowing that he wrote the 1994 crime bill. He called black children cockroaches on video. You can watch it. Not making it up. Wouldn't do that. Not going to do it. (laughs) Was that a terrible impression of Dana Carvey doing an impression of George H.W. Bush? Maybe. But the question really is, what will they not defend? They are defending absolute perversion, dementia, and moral depravity. And they have no problem doing it. And they think that anytime they're called on it, they can say, yeah, well, Trump is worse. Everybody knows that. That that somehow eliminates their responsibility for what they are doing. Okay? They are defending this stuff themselves. They can watch it and pretend that it's not real and that they're not seeing what they're seeing because they believe that they need to support that side at all costs or otherwise the bad people will gain an advantage. Every single slogan, they defend every single one of the slogans, all of the characters, the whole team, like good little communists. Isn't that amazing? And I know commies, it's hard to hear that you're commies, but there are no signs that you're not. And now it just got a little bit harder for you to deny. I want to say that the Marxist foundation of critical race theory is at base a spiritual concern. If you read Marx, you know that he was concerned about alienation, specifically alienation of the species being that element of humanity uh, that provides creativity, that is unique to the individual, uh, that really gives us, it, it is what defines humans from animals in that case. And that Marx was concerned that our modern systems were flattening that humanity and, and alienating us from the creative endeavors that, that we were, uh, well, Christians would say, we were designed to uh, emulate and to, and to practice. So the core question 
for critical race theory is one of releasing people, especially people of color, especially black people, from uh, the oppressive systems that deny us access to our species being, including racism. It's Marxism, my point being critical race theory's Marxism is function is fundamentally a spiritual uh, concern. That's a professor from Villanova, right? Villanova's a good school. That's one of their professors on a Zoom call with like 15 or 20 other professors. Now, they could have just been talking about this theoretically. But why would they? Is critical race theory and Marxism really something that the academy needs to spend a lot of time on? These people are communists. Critical race theory is the basis for most of the woke ideology that is practiced in popular culture right now. So tell me again, Kami, why I can't call you Kami. Now let's change gears. Missing the show yesterday because there was some work going on in here and I just had no ability to create a show that would sound good and not have incessant banging or loud buzzing sounds of machines. That was not going to happen. So I'm doing it today. It's a beautiful afternoon, and I'm not outside. I'm in here doing this, but I'm kind of glad that I had this extra day because so much crazy stuff came out yesterday in the afternoon, and I'm going to try to get to all of it, which will mean this will be a long episode. So maybe you consider that making up for no episode yesterday. Or maybe you're just like, okay, well, now he's just being long-winded. Hey, it is what it is. I'm not the one who makes you listen to this. (laughs) That's your choice. Turn me off. Thursday, after I finished recording, in Fulton County, they hired two top criminal defense lawyers to deal with the election fraud stuff. Now, I'm not an attorney, but I do know some. And those attorneys are like, well, huh. Seems like you would hire other types of attorneys first, not the criminal ones that somehow got Ray Lewis off of a double murder charge for a double murder he was definitely involved in. And you can read the story and see it. And now Ray Lewis is a hero. So I think that the communists in Georgia, like Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger, who are Romneys, granted, they're not Democrats, but Stacey Abrams is. All those people who broke laws in the run-up to, during the election, and after the election... They apparently need a criminal defense attorney now. And I can't wait to find out why. They did get the ballot handover stalled, which is extremely annoying because they'll probably tie it up in the courts for a few more weeks. And maybe we don't get that ballot handover that was supposed to happen yesterday until the end of June. And then the review process and then the post process after that with legal. And this is all just hoping that Judge Amaro sticks to 
the path he's on and allows this to go forward. But for now, they have thrown another wrench in the gears. And that's very annoying. But I think we can see where this is going. And I like where it's going, to tell you the truth. And I also wanted to talk about this Facebook whistleblower. His name is Morgan Common. And this guy is an absolute hero. And I mean that in a literal sense. I really think that this guy did something heroic. He basically saw Facebook trying to censor people's ability to relay their bad experiences with the vaccine. They are st- they were stopping people from posting actual information from like the CDC, which we're told is the basis on which they fact check everything else, even though the CDC is obviously completely political and totally full of shit and lying. And those people there are going down with Anthony Fauci for sure. But they're censoring that stuff. They are basically censoring and limiting anything that might potentially cause someone to become more hesitant about receiving the vaccine. That's sick. That's deranged. And Facebook views their algorithmic changes, this process that they're using to silence vaccine hesitancy. They're going to use that across the spectrum. And they have these very Orwellian phrases like, Harm reduction, right? Or they want to limit harm. Now, the reason it's Orwellian is because they are assuming, first off, that the vaccine is good when that is not only not certain, it may not be true at all. And for certain people, it's definitely harmful and it has harmed people. Okay, so the vaccine is not just a cut and dry case. This is good and people need to get it. And people not getting it is actually a societal harm. Right. They have to make a lot of jumps to get to that point. And so then they will define the censorship as a step toward harm reduction, because if vaccine hesitancy creates real world harm, then they to limit that, they have to censor. That's the logic. But that ignores the harm they're actually creating. And they are creating measurable harm, all right? It used to just be something we all agreed to, that censorship was bad and that we need to have the ideas out there. Now, there are appropriate venues for different sorts of speech, and we can you know, rate a movie PG or R based on things like language. But those are guidelines, okay? Guidelines are entirely different than being able to take people's primary means of communication, which unfortunately are legacy social media platforms, and then censor those so that ideas don't get out there. It actually is extremely harmful that the public is not allowed to have a conversation about whether or not there was election fraud, 
whether or not the vaccines are beneficial. And until three days ago or two days ago, Facebook didn't allow a conversation about whether or not the coronavirus was created in a lab in Wuhan, even though it was created in a lab in Wuhan. They effectively shut that narrative down for over a year. And doing that actually prevented the United States of America from properly reacting to something that is looking increasingly like an act of war. And even just on a public health level, not knowing where a disease came from and how it originated makes a huge difference in how it's handled. It also led us to trust a Nazi doctor for well over a year. We were told that we must trust the experts and the best expert is Anthony Fauci, who no one knew of before last year. No one who doesn't research these things, I mean. No one who didn't pay attention to the AIDS crisis in the 80s and 90s. And by the way, the set of people that weren't paying attention to that includes me. Like, that was not something I was researching when I was 15. I can tell you that. I knew every single player on the Pirates and the Steelers, and I knew every lyric to every Pearl Jam song, but I did not know about Anthony Fauci's handling of the HIV and AIDS crisis. So we were told by the television that we must put all our faith into a man we knew nothing about. And they maintained that perspective until now, really. I mean, he has largely disappeared from the daily cable lineup. And I hope and imagine that that is driving Anthony Fauci insane. But nonetheless, we were told by corporations and basically every cultural institution that the idea that the coronavirus originated in the Wuhan Institute of Virology was a conspiracy theory. And Anthony Fauci went along with that. And we were told we must trust Anthony Fauci, especially because he's the anti-Trump. Well, it turns out that Anthony Fauci and his agency that he directs was funding the research that created the virus. This isn't in doubt anymore. He can lie about it all he wants, but it's no longer in doubt. And yesterday pretty much sealed his fate on that. Sherry Markson, an Australian reporter who is writing a book on all this, and she's been doing excellent work on the coronavirus the entire time. She put out an article yesterday talking about Anthony Fauci's views in 2012 about gain of function research. And I also posted in the info stream yesterday the full congressional testimony that he gave in 2012. And you can see the people asking him the questions, Susan Collins, Joe Lieberman. It's like a who's who of communists in the Senate listening to Anthony Fauci talk about gain-of-function research. These are direct quotes from Fauci. 
in an unlikely but conceivable turn of events, what if that scientist becomes infected with the virus, which leads to an outbreak and ultimately triggers a pandemic? Many ask reasonable questions. Given the possibility of such a scenario, however remote, should the initial experiments have been performed and or published in the first place? And what were the processes involved in this decision? Scientists working in this field might say, as indeed I have said, that the benefits of such experiments and the resulting knowledge outweigh the risks. It is more likely that a pandemic would occur in nature, and the need to stay ahead of such a threat is a primary reason for performing an experiment that might appear to be risky. In the paper, Dr. Fauci also writes, and this is separate from the congressional testimony, obviously, but you can see him discuss the same thing in the testimony. There's video of it on the info stream. Within the research community, many have expressed concern that important research progress could come to a halt just because the fear that someone somewhere might attempt to replicate these experiments sloppily. This is a valid concern. Got it? Anthony Fauci, in his own words, now nine years ago, made the argument that the knowledge we could gain the knowledge that we could gain from doing these experiments outweighs the risk of sparking a global pandemic. Got it? Commies listening, do you get that? Do you understand that some of us have been saying this for over a year, I've mentioned on this podcast before that Anthony Fauci used to support gain-of-function research. Anthony Fauci went through channels to get gain-of-function research restarted after it had been banned. Anthony Fauci funds gain-of-function research. This isn't conspiracy theory. It's not in doubt. This is a fact about reality. That is not only provable, it's proven. Knowing these facts about reality have existed for nine years and knowing that they were witnessed by real people, you might stop in the middle of your thinking process where you're trying to get to the point where you can say, well, yeah, but we just found out about this. People didn't know about this. That's not why they were saying that it came from the lab. No, Kami, you're wrong. That's exactly what we were saying. That's the thing you called a conspiracy theory. When I call Anthony Fauci a Nazi doctor, I'm not joking. I'm not being hyperbolic. I am drawing a direct, relevant parallel, okay? You got to understand, Nazis didn't think Nazism was bad. That's why they were doing it. And they actually were able to rationalize what they were doing to the general public. How did they do that? Well, they divided people. And then they made certain classes of people scapegoats. 
so that they could say anything they wanted about them and treat them any way they wanted. What do you think critical race theory does? Yesterday, there was a picture out of a notice at a Popeye's. Under new management, we reserve the right to refuse service to white people. Okay? Is that hard for you to believe, Kami? You think that's okay? Hey, did you just have the racist thought that it's okay because it's Popeye's and fried chicken is for black people? Did you have that thought, Kami? Yeah, you did. Because you're sick. Okay? You got a mental disease. Wake up and snap out of it. Popeye's is not a segregated racial safe space. You understand? Can you see how we got there? Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, says she won't hold interviews with white reporters. And now she's being sued for it, thank goodness. How much discrimination is enough, commies? At what point, commie, do you sit back and say, you know what? I think we've discriminated against all other white people aside from me enough that we can stop doing it and we can reinstate the anti-discrimination language that was stripped out of the California Constitution last year by who? Communists. When do we reach that point, commies? When? Just tell me when. You don't have to give me an exact date. Just imagine a scenario please, where we can go back to not liking discrimination, no matter who's being discriminated against. At what point do we get to do that? Communist. And here's another question. At what point do you, commie who owns a throw pillow with Anthony Fauci's face on it, commie who still wears two masks, even though you're double vaxxed. So now you're a masky and a vaxy. At what point is Anthony Fauci untenable for you any longer? And at the time you decide that you are ready to let go of Anthony Fauci, do you go back and think about how you've acted over the last 15 months in regards to Anthony Fauci and how often you have called people uh, stupid and conspiracy theorists and hateful and disrespectful and ignorant of science because those people pointed out ways that Anthony Fauci was wrong, that Anthony Fauci was a blatant liar, that Anthony Fauci was a blatant narcissist and that Anthony Fauci was marching our society to its ruin based on your idolization of him. You got to see, Kami, that the mechanism by which Anthony Fauci did what he did is your worship of him as a false idol because you are a fundamentalist believer in the religion of scientism. 
anything that you believe and you can go out onto the internet and find a scientific support for is thereby indisputably true. And everyone who doesn't agree with you, even if they can prove their point of view, is some kind of heretic that must be burned at the stake. That is where you are now, Kami. Understand that is where you are. You might have thought you were being good the whole time. You might have thought you were being responsible the whole time. But you inadvertently walked yourself into a hate movement and you're still in it. And you use people like Anthony Fauci to give you cover so that you can express your hate as strongly as you want. And you think, because you got that little piece of paper from your college that says you're smart, you know how these conversations go. You know how to carry yourself in these conversations. You know what stuff you're allowed to say and how. But unfortunately, simply repeating the things that you hear intellectuals say is not actually being intellectual, all right? If you're not thinking about things and forming your own original thoughts, or at least your own individual thoughts, or at least trying somehow to synthesize information in a way that you understand so that you're actually not stuck just repeating the slogans, then you're not being intellectual. And that little piece of paper from your college doesn't change that. But back to Fauci. And wait, wait, wait. It gets so, so, so much worse. This is from the Daily Mail. And it's a long article, but I'm going to read a bunch of it because it is really important. This is as bombshell as it gets. COVID-19 has no credible natural ancestor and was created by Chinese scientists who then tried to cover their tracks with retro engineering to make it seem like it naturally arose from bats. Explosive new study claims. And this is Josh Boswell again for the Daily Mail, and he's been doing excellent work. An explosive new study claims that Chinese scientists created COVID-19 in a Wuhan lab, then tried to cover their tracks by reverse engineering versions of the virus to make it look like it evolved naturally from bats. Just that sentence alone. There is a lot in there, okay? Because we remember, or we should, that Anthony Fauci not only denied that the Wuhan lab was the most likely source of the virus. He said that all indications were based on the virus and its characteristics that it could not have come from a lab and would have come from nature. Keep that in mind. The paper's authors, British professor Angus Dalgleish and Norwegian scientist Dr. Berger Sorensen, wrote that they had prima facie evidence of retroengineering in China for a year, but were ignored by academics in major journals. Dalgleish is a professor of oncology at St. George's University, London, and is best known 
for his breakthrough, creating the first working HIV vaccine to treat diagnosed patients and allow them to go off medication for months. Sorensen, a virologist, is chair of pharmaceutical company Immunor, which developed a coronavirus vaccine candidate called BioVac-19. Dalglish also has share options in the firm. The shocking allegations in the study include accusations of deliberate destruction, concealment, or contamination of data at Chinese labs, and it notes the silencing and disappearance of scientists in the communist country who spoke out. And again, I mentioned this the other day, that people in China who had firsthand knowledge of this and tried to communicate it, I said the other day they were murdered. I guess more accurately, you could say they were disappeared. But when it comes to the Chinese Communist Party, those are basically the same thing. Now, I'm sure they could be rotting in a Chinese prison somewhere. I guess that's possible. But they were erased. Their online presence was erased as having ever worked with the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And they have not been heard from since. The journal article, exclusively obtained by DailyMail.com and slated for publication in the coming days, is set to make waves among the scientific community, as the majority of experts have until recently staunchly denied the origins of COVID-19 were anything other than a natural infection leaping from animals to humans. While analyzing COVID-19 samples last year in an attempt to create a vaccine, Dalglish and Sorensen discovered unique fingerprints in the virus that they say could only have arisen from manipulation in a laboratory. They said they tried to publish their findings, but were rejected by major scientific journals, which were at the time resolute that the virus jumped naturally from bats or other animals to humans. And Tucker Carlson did an interesting piece on this either last night or the night before where he talked about the total corruption of the scientific community. And again, people who are firm believers in scientism as a religion think that this sort of thing is okay. But that's not science. It's decidedly not science. The rejection of information that the community finds inconvenient, not that they can debunk, not that they can prove false, just things they don't want to say, that should be seen as a threat to the world by every rational person. But it's not because communists control the channels of communication along these lines. Even when former MI6 chief Sir Richard Dearlove spoke out publicly, saying the scientist theory should be investigated. The idea was dismissed as fake news. Over a year later, leading academics, politicians, and the media finally flipped and have begun to contemplate the possibility that COVID-19 escaped from the Wuhan Institute of Virology in China, a lab where experiments, including manipulating viruses, to increase their infectiousness in order to study their potential effects on humans. Now, again... I've said countless times that this is the greatest moral, scientific, and political failure in human history, the response to COVID-19. And of course it is. But the scientific failure part should be seen as conclusive. Like, I cannot imagine a good argument that opposes my position on that, okay? And I'm happy to hear one. Maybe one does exist. But if a ultra dangerous virus 
was created in a lab and the positive benefit we were expected to receive from that research was knowledge, just knowledge. And again, that is what Anthony Fauci described it as in his own words. That knowledge was supposed to be the benefit of this research in a bioweapons lab. Well, we can already see the level of failure here, right? The risk of triggering a global pandemic was described by Anthony Fauci as being outweighed by the knowledge we were expected to receive. And the hope would be that if we were to gain scientific knowledge, we would be able to save lives and defeat a naturally occurring pandemic. Unfortunately, that knowledge never happened. And the application of that knowledge has not happened to the benefit of any humans. But that small risk that Anthony Fauci was citing has completely come to pass in the real world. So if the virus escaped the lab, then the scientific community has failed just by allowing it to escape. Okay. And that I think is pretty conclusive. I don't know how that can be argued. Are you going to try to shift the blame onto the scientists working there? Did they do something irresponsible? Was it simple human error? The science was good, but the human error, that's just something we can't account for. Or maybe the lab was built wrong and it was an accident. Well, then you're not doing the science right. That's a scientific failure, okay? If scientists create something dangerous and allow that to escape the lab, then what we have is a scientific failure. If it was put out on purpose, that's an even larger scientific failure. If the science community then devotes its time and resources to lying and covering up the origin of the virus, then we just have scientific malfeasance, which is its own kind of scientific failure. To then turn around and say that these experimental vaccines being used to treat the coronavirus that was created in a lab is some grand scientific success. Well, I don't think that makes up for causing the problem initially. The fact that they lied about the origin this long is unforgivable, particularly for Anthony Fauci, who certainly knew all of this from the beginning. Are we to imagine that Anthony Fauci was unaware of this? If he was unaware of this, then why wasn't he out there demanding proper investigations and saying that our Chinese counterparts need to make sure that the Wuhan Institute of Virology is open to the world? Instead, 
we got an investigation from Peter Daszak at EcoHealth Alliance, the very company Anthony Fauci funneled that money through that would eventually reach the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And this part may not yet be conclusive, but when Anthony Fauci is talking about variants or he's talking about characteristics of the virus that show it would have come from nature, and then we discover the fact that the virus continued to be manipulated to make it resemble something that had come from nature, well, that also doesn't speak too highly of the scientific community. Now, I'm not trying to be a Luddite, and I'm not trying to be anti-science. This perspective is pro-science, okay? Getting more information and competing information and allowing evidence to compete until we can reach some real consensus, that's a scientific process. Covering up the greatest scientific failure in world history is not a credit to science or to the scientists who Anthony Fauci called just days ago very competent and trustworthy. Anthony Fauci said that four days ago. Just in the last three weeks, Anthony Fauci has reversed himself in monumental ways about this very subject. And he's calling these people competent and trustworthy. This week, President Joe Biden ordered the intelligence community to re-examine how the virus originated, including the lab accident theory. The Daily Mail fails to mention that Joe Biden actually shut down an investigation into this very subject. So presenting Joe Biden as a proactive, curious, interested party in this is preposterous. The announcement followed the revelation that a previously undisclosed intelligence report had been made to the White House, claiming that several researchers at the Wuhan Institute were hospitalized with illness in November 2019. The document was uncovered this week by the Wall Street Journal. No, it wasn't. Okay, the document was first reported on by the Wall Street Journal. But the document wasn't uncovered. This is another thing that has been known for quite a long time. And you know who else knew it? Anthony Fauci. U.S. health officials have also come under fire for allegedly funding researchers' controversial and risky experiments at the Wuhan lab. They could do away with the word allegedly. Now, Dalglish and Sorensen have authored a new study which concludes that SARS coronavirus 2 has no credible natural ancestor and that it is beyond reasonable doubt that the virus was created through laboratory manipulation. In the 22-page paper, which is set to be published in the scientific journal Quarterly Review of Biophysics Discovery, the scientists described their months-long forensic analysis looking back at experiments done at the Wuhan lab between 2002 and 2019. 
Digging through archives of journals and databases, Dalgleish and Sorensen pieced together how Chinese scientists, some working in concert with American universities, allegedly built the tools to create the coronavirus. Much of the work was centered around controversial gain-of-function research temporarily outlawed in the U.S. under the Obama administration. Gain-of-function involves tweaking naturally occurring viruses to make them more infectious so they can replicate in human cells in a lab, allowing the virus's potential effect on humans to be studied and better understood. Isn't that interesting? So they want to make sure that they know everything about how this virus might interact with humans, and the only way they can do that is by giving the virus the ability to interact with humans. The virus did not have the ability to interact with humans, so they gave it that ability just so they could know what it would be like if the virus interacted with humans. Does that make sense? Does that sound like responsible science? I countless times on this podcast, I have talked about the danger of powerful dorks. And I know that that sounds silly, but think about it. These guys, like Anthony Fauci, are basically Dungeons and Dragons nerds that get to try out their horrific science on the world. How much time do you think that people like Anthony Fauci and like so many of these epidemiologists, how much time do you think they spend considering these sorts of world altering or potentially world ending scenarios? I would gather it's probably a lot. They probably spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff which is why they have all their theories and all their models. This is what they do for a living. This is beyond just a profession for them. It's a hobby. It's a fascination. They want to know how all of the work they've done in their basement would actually play out in the real world. And now we get to see every sociopaths dream powerful dorks all right think about powerful dorks think about epidemiology epidemiology is not a science first of all it's definitionally not a science it's not testable it can't be replicated just models and the models are never right epidemiology is applied mathematics And an understanding of human behavior that none of these powerful dorks actually possess. And listen, there are all kinds of people in the world, right? You're not a bad person if you're antisocial. You're not a bad person if you're a dork. And I'm not even saying dork in a pejorative way. I'm saying they are obsessed with some academic subject. This is what they do. All good. They actually hold and fulfill a wonderful place in society. We gain so much knowledge from people that actually want to spend all day in a lab tinkering with things. The problem is when that sort of person has narcissistic character traits 
or delusions of grandeur or ideas about how they might save the world. And that describes people like Anthony Fauci and like Bill Gates. That describes them to a T. And we have all now been made lab rats by these people. Their tinkering, their fascination, their experimenting failed and was released on the world, either on purpose or by accident. Who knows? <laughs> it's hard to say. And in some respect, it doesn't matter. Because even if it was leaked, even if it was purely an accident, the response has been weaponized by the Chinese Communist Party, by the scientific community, and by our public health community. They have decided to tinker with society and with the world and try to change it in whatever way they want based on the fact that this crisis has given them an opportunity. And they're not even hesitant to express this. Kamala Harris has said it. You can hear it on video. She talks about how this is such a great opportunity for us to make all the necessary changes to really bring about justice and equity. Dalglish and Sorensen claim that scientists working on gain-of-function projects took a natural coronavirus backbone found in Chinese cave bats and spliced onto it a new spike, turning it into the deadly and highly transmissible SARS-CoV-2. One telltale sign of alleged manipulation the two men highlighted was a row of four amino acids they found on the SARS-CoV-2 spike. In an exclusive interview with DailyMail.com, Sorensen said the amino acids all have a positive charge, which causes the virus to tightly cling to the negatively charged parts of human cells like a magnet and so become more infectious. But because, like magnets, the positively charged amino acids repel each other, it is rare to find even three in a row in naturally occurring organisms, while four in a row is extremely unlikely, the scientist said. The laws of physics mean that you cannot have four positively charged amino acids in a row. The only way you can get this is if you artificially manufacture it, Dalglish told DailyMail.com. Their new paper says these features of SARS-CoV-2 are unique fingerprints, which are indicative of purposive manipulation and that the likelihood of it being the result of natural processes is very small. A natural virus pandemic would be expected to mutate gradually and become more infectious but less pathogenic, which is what many expected with the COVID-19 pandemic, but which does not appear to have happened, the scientists wrote. The implication of our historical reconstruction, we posit now beyond reasonable doubt, of the purposively manipulated chimeric virus SARS-CoV-2 makes it imperative to reconsider what types of gain-of-function experiment is morally acceptable to undertake. Because of wide social impact, these decisions cannot be left to research scientists alone. Now again, that is a very important sentence. And this is another thing that I've been saying for well over a year. You cannot simply let scientists set public policy, all right? That is not how the world works. Scientists don't get to run everything. 
All right. That is not their job. Their job is figuring out how things work. Their job is to contribute to the wealth of human knowledge so that we can decide these paths into our collective future. The making of these decisions is not the job of scientists. That's why we have elected leaders. This isn't the first time in history where science informs public policy. It happens all the time. We don't just get rid of our intellectual and moral responsibility to make these decisions. We can't just say, well, the science says this. But that is what we've said the entire time. And a large portion of this country has gone along with every single bit of that. Because they don't have the courage or the knowledge or the attention to listen to the information we get from science and then make responsible decisions that have trade-offs and must take trade-offs into account. We still have newspapers like the LA Times pretending that lockdowns worked. And not only did the lockdowns work, they worked without a negative economic impact. And that is just flatly false. Shutting down the world economy has pushed literally, literally hundreds of millions of people in this world into extreme poverty. It could take a generation or longer to get that many people out of extreme poverty. But we did it and we didn't hesitate to do it, at least not the communists. The rest of us weren't allowed in the discussion. But we did that just because Anthony Fauci went out on CNN and recommended it. Anderson Cooper and Sanjay Gupta asked him if the proper response was a nationwide lockdown. And Anthony Fauci, the oracle of science, said yes, that we should lock down the entire nation. Is Anthony Fauci going to take responsibility for the trade-off? Of course not. Oh, I'm just here to tell you what the science says. He actually said many times last year that he wasn't the person who would ultimately be making these decisions and that it's not his job to take into account things like economic impact. He didn't even think it was his job to take into account the mental health effects and the public health effects of these lockdowns, of hospital closures of making it so that people couldn't get cancer screenings or surgeries. All the negative effects that we're going to see in the future from this ridiculous masking charade. None of that is his responsibility. He's not the one making those decisions. Those are other people that aren't him. But he will go out on television and tell all those people what decisions they should be making. And you got to understand there is a huge difference there. During a Senate hearing on Wednesday, 
White House Chief Medical Advisor Dr. Anthony Fauci admitted he was not certain U.S. funding for researchers at the Wuhan lab was not spent on controversial and risky gain-of-function experiments. How do you know they didn't lie to you and use the money for gain-of-function research anyway? Louisiana Senator John Kennedy asked Fauci. You never know, he replied, but added that scientists at the lab are trustworthy. And this is the same quote in which he said they were competent. National Institutes of Health Director Dr. Francis Collins told the hearing that U.S.-funded scientists at the lab were not approved by NIH for doing gain-of-function research. And you see that? He did his job. He can tell you that NIH did not approve of this. And that's it. His hands are clean. Well, we didn't approve of it, so that's it. We don't need to know where our money goes. We don't need to have oversight over the research about where our money goes. And Anthony Fauci answered that he knew that the money didn't go to gain of function research because he saw the results of the work the money did go to. But he admits he can't be sure. In another striking claim contained in the research paper, Dalgleish and Sorensen say they have evidence that after the pandemic began, Chinese scientists took samples of the COVID-19 virus and retro-engineered it, making it appear as if it had evolved naturally. And again, was Anthony Fauci relying on knowledge of that work when he claimed that the characteristics of the virus indicated that it must have come from nature? One consistent pattern we see with all of this lying is that they try to disseminate responsibility so that the responsibility on any one person is totally diluted. They can't actually be held accountable for anything because they had passed it down to someone else. And as long as we have corrupt politicians and a media who is happy to portray the other people as being responsible, people like Fauci will never be held accountable. Now, obviously, I think that this is about to be an avalanche and Anthony Fauci is going to be held fully accountable because, again, this is one of those narratives that only works in one direction. And of course, this is the same thing that they've done with the election fraud schemes. These aren't little mistakes. These are massive systems erected to achieve these ends. And this is how they get away with it over and over and over again. But the narrative goes in one direction, and the American people right now have a big appetite for holding people accountable. The researchers said they were suspicious of a raft of new strains suddenly entered into gene databases by predominantly Chinese scientists early in 2020, years after they were recorded as being collected. We think that there have been retro-engineered viruses created, Dalglish told DailyMail.com. They've changed the virus, then tried to make out it was in a sequence years ago. In their paper, Dalglish and Sorensen also pointed to deliberate destruction, concealment, or contamination of data in Chinese labs and noted that Chinese scientists who wish to share their knowledge have not been able to do so or have disappeared. It appears that preserved virus material and related information have been destroyed. Therefore, we are confronted with large gaps in data which may never be filled, they wrote. Strains popped up after January 2020 are not credible. For a year, we have possessed prima facie evidence of retro engineering in China in early 2020. 
In January last year, DailyMail.com revealed that scientists had been warning about the risk of deadly pathogens escaping from the Wuhan lab since it was opened in 2017. China installed the first of a planned five to seven biolabs designed for maximum safety in Wuhan in 2017 for the purpose of studying the most high-risk pathogens, including the Ebola and SARS viruses. Tim Trevan, a Maryland biosafety consultant, told the science journal Nature that year when the lab was on the cusp of opening that he worried China's culture could make the Institute unsafe because structures where everyone feels free to speak up and openness of information are important. No kidding. Again, these are the sorts of things that require a communist regime or a Nazi regime or a fascist regime regime or a socialist regime. Again, those are all close enough at this point that we can see them as interchangeable. There is a reason and an ethic behind Nazi doctors like Joseph Mengele doing the experiments they did and treating humans the way they treated them as inhuman. This sort of thing is less likely to happen in a place like the United States where someone might have the moral fortitude to put a stop to it. And in fact, the country, I guess, thought it had. Anthony Fauci had other ideas. Anthony Fauci is exactly like Joseph Mengele in this. And that's why I call him a Nazi doctor, because he is a Nazi doctor. Humans are lab rats to Anthony Fauci. If that statement is extreme for you, then you're not paying attention. At every stage of this, Anthony Fauci has prioritized his own image above everything else. Beneath that is the science, and he has to protect the science, and that's what these scientists do. And they will admit that they do this. They will knowingly prevent the public from getting information. Because they don't want to lose their funding. They won't speak out against stuff like this because they don't want to lose the funding for their own experiments. And now we are right back to powerful dorks. They believe that their experiments, their, the science, is so important that they can make all sorts of moral exceptions just to keep their science going, just to keep their job. Doesn't matter what happens because they assume, oh, well, that's a very low probability risk. It's really important that my work keeps going. And again, it's hard for me to accept the idea that what I just said is extreme when you heard Anthony Fauci say that exact thing in the quote I read earlier, he thought these experiments and the knowledge we would gain from them outweighed the risk of triggering a global pandemic. Come to terms with what that is. In fact, the SARS virus had escaped multiple times from a lab in Beijing, according to the Nature article. 
U.S. State Department officials visited the Wuhan Institute in 2018 and sent two official warnings back to D.C., alerting the government to poor safety there, according to The Washington Post. That is very interesting. I'm actually looking forward, and this is speculation, obviously. I'm looking forward to seeing what all of that entailed, and I'm going to try to dig into that a little bit because this is the sort of thing that sounds like a potential cover for future activity. It's the sort of precaution you would take if you knew that a bioweapon virus was being created that would then be taken outside the lab. You would say there are safety concerns at this lab so that once again, you could dilute your accountability. Well, hey, you know, it must have been an accident. We already knew this lab was unsafe. Well, why didn't you take the money away? And why didn't you stop doing the experiments if you knew the lab was unsafe? Where's the answer to that? Maybe there is one. I don't see one here. Wuhan National Biosafety Laboratory, housed at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, was China's first lab to be rated biosafety level four, the most secure classification. Now, see that? Those two things are completely in opposition. But Sorensen says he believes the virus escaped from lower security areas of the Institute, where he believes gain-of-function research was performed. Oh, good. They put the really deadly research at the lower levels. Or... They're working on something far more deadly. We have seen lab leaks and we know it's happening. We also know from the reports we've seen that coronavirus is worked on in biosafety level two or three labs. If they do gain of function in such labs, what do you expect? He said, yeah, what would you expect? Man, that's crazy. In February, 2020, a molecular biomechanics researcher at South China University of Technology, Bo Tao Zhao, I hope I'm saying that correct published a paper claiming the killer coronavirus probably originated from a laboratory in Wuhan, highlighting safety issues at the Institute. Xiao withdrew the paper weeks later after Chinese authorities denied any accidents at the lab. Oh, wow. That sounds like very responsible, the science. The same month, a group of 27 scientists wrote a statement in top journal The Lancet saying they strongly condemn conspiracy theories, suggesting that COVID-19 does not have a natural origin and overwhelmingly conclude that this coronavirus originated in wildlife. Isn't that interesting? What responsible, competent, trustworthy scientists we have. Oh, and The Lancet, that's that very respectable journal that published and then rescinded a study about hydroxychloroquine saying that it was dangerous. Turns out it wasn't. Three of the authors later told the Wall Street Journal that they now believe a lab accident is worth consideration as an explanation for the origins of COVID-19. Oh, I guess the science has changed. And still, three out of 27, three out of 27 had the integrity to come forward and say that they might have been wrong. Wow. What a great science community we have. I trust the science. Dalglish told DailyMail.com that he believed resistance to the theory that COVID-19 is a man-made escaped virus comes from scientists fearful that the revelation would shut down their field. Got it? 
This looks like a weak defense to protect the discipline so that this type of genetic engineering will not be interfered with, he said. I make no bones about it. The gain-of-function engineering should have been banned ages ago. Well, that's quite conclusive, isn't it? In fact, a lot of scientists have thought that for a very, very long time. You know one who didn't? Anthony Fauci. And I guess we can put Francis Collins in that category as well. These men knew that they were funding controversial research. And they knew it was dangerous. And they knew that they were doing it in coordination with the Chinese Communist Party and the People's Liberation Army that actually does work on the creation of bioweapons in that lab. Questioned at a congressional hearing this week, White House Chief Medical Advisor Dr. Anthony Fauci denied that any U.S. funding went toward gain-of-function research in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And again, now he is the White House Chief Medical Advisor. Got that? He's not just the director of the NIAID anymore. Now he has been promoted by the fake president, Joe Biden. Fauci told lawmakers that the National Institutes of Health committed $600,000 to the Chinese lab through the nonprofit EcoHealth Alliance to study whether bat coronaviruses could be transmitted to humans. NIH director Dr. Francis Collins also told the hearing that U.S. funded scientists at the lab were not approved by NIH for doing gain of function research. Oh, I guess they were just being very bad boys and girls. We are, of course, not aware of other sources of funds or other activities they might have undertaken outside of what our approved grant allowed. <laughs> the NIH ceased its funding to the EcoHealth Alliance in April 2020. Oh, thank goodness. I wonder why they would do that, though, because the EcoHealth Alliance wasn't doing anything wrong, according to these psychopaths. So why would they stop their funding? Shouldn't they have kept the funding going? I mean, don't we need more research to fix these problems? I mean, the exact scenario that they were doing this research to solve, right? A naturally occurring coronavirus pandemic. That's what this research was supposed to solve, right? Right? That is the explanation. That exact scenario, they were trying to to prevent or fix happened in the real world and their response was to shut down the research. Someone tell me how that makes sense. Someone, anyone, make it make sense. Otherwise, it looks like they were trying to be able to say that that research is totally safe. And we know that this came from nature, but just to be sure we shut the research down because we were just being extra cautious. It's like wearing two masks or three, you know, extra cautious, but that's not the end of our current powerful dork problem. Now we have members of our own pretend federal government saying they're going to take a very close look at vaccine passports, but only for traveling. 
only for traveling. We need to make sure that the people traveling around are all vaccinated with a vaccine that apparently does not work at all because we still need masks, according to so many people and some of the science. And we need to do this for a disease that can only kill one out of a thousand people where that one person is almost definitely over 70 years old with multiple other causes of death. Which is to say, it barely kills anyone. And we know that almost all, almost all of the coronavirus tests that yielded a positive result yielded a false positive because of the PCR cycle threshold over 90% false positives. And we're still pretending that the coronavirus killed all these hundreds of thousands of people when we know it didn't. And so the vaccine passport really isn't about public health or public safety at all. It's about more powerful dorks wanting to run experiments on society from just the news Federal government is taking a very close look at vaccine passports to travel. Mayorkas says Nicholas Sherman yesterday. Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas said Friday that the federal government is looking into whether it should require so-called vaccine passports for those coming into or out of the country. We're taking a very close look, Mayorkas said on ABC's Good Morning America. He also said the federal government's top priority is to ensure that any passport that we provide for vaccinations is accessible to all and that no one is disenfranchised. Oh, yeah, that's the problem. (laughs) Access to the vaccine passport is the concern. We might not be able to give it out to the right communities. You know, all the communities that have no interest in taking this vaccine. No one is disenfranchised. This policy would literally only exist to force people to take a vaccine or be disenfranchised. And it's not actually disenfranchised. That's a bad word to use here. That segment of the population who refuse to take the vaccine and then accept this vaccine passport would actually be excluded from huge parts of normal life. That's the intention. Mayorkas' comments appear contradictory to those made last month by White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, who said that the Biden administration did not support a federally organized vaccine passport. The government is not now nor will be supporting a system that requires Americans to carry a credential, said Psaki, according to the Washington Post. There will be no federal vaccination database, no federal mandate requiring everyone to acquire a single vaccination credential. Again, they want to leave all that to the private sector. But apparently they're going to try to smuggle this in with the normal idea of a passport. Well, you already have a passport. We're just going to amend your passport so that it shows that you've been vaccinated and then you're safe for this disease that for all intents and purposes no longer exists. Where is it? Someone tell me. India? No. India discovered hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin quite a while ago. And they've reaped the benefits of that. I know you saw something on TV and I know that you heard the Nazi doctor say very scary things. 
But yeah, if we stop talking about coronavirus, we could all just go about our lives and we would not even notice that it existed. And now we have DHS secretary talking about how they were looking into the possibility of a vaccine passport to travel. I, for one, am happy to kiss all of these things goodbye. You don't want me to travel to other countries? Fine. Not going to do it. Can't fly on planes? Fine. Won't do it. Can't go to concerts? All right. I've seen thousands of concerts. I'll be okay. The only way we respond to this stuff and actually win is by refusing to participate. They're going to try to continue to take things away from you. Until you submit, until you comply, do not comply. We need to set up separate economies, parallel economies, so that we can do and have the things we want without complying. Do not comply. Make yourself non-compliant. It's important. Every time someone bends over and accepts what our masters say because they want some small benefit that the masters promise. That person is defying themselves and defying humanity. They are making the project of freedom and liberty and self-sufficiency more difficult by going along, which is why I also don't like the idea of these fake vaccine cards as well so that people can do things. That's not good, okay? That's you skirting the system so that you can do the things without complying. But you are complying. Every time you show the card, you're complying. Whether or not you got the vaccine, oh, you're going to trick them and now you have the power. That's not power. Power is making the system Stop not figuring out a way around the system. The system is by nature and by definition oppressive. And if you participate in the oppressive system, even by tricking it for your own personal benefit, you are allowing the oppressive system to continue to exist. You have to pull the air out. You have to pull the money out. Let Live Nation open all their concert venues at half capacity. Or let them drop their ticket prices to the point where the artists can't perform for that amount. If they want a full stadium, make them sell all the tickets at $5. How about that? How long do you think the oppressive system stays in place when their business model is destroyed by their participation in the oppressive system? Not very long. That's how the system comes down. You don't comply. You don't go along. And now you have places like California. Gavin Newsom has promised to give away $116 million of California taxpayer money to people who will go get the vaccine. And isn't it amazing that no place in the country has made its citizens more desperate for money than California? They're going to give a couple of a million dollar prizes away and then the rest are going to be $50,000. How many of the people who are going to go do this in the hopes that they will be chosen in this lottery that, by the way, you have to assume is completely rigged? 
How many of those people were literally cost $50,000 plus by Gavin Newsom for shutting down California's economy last year? They're giving you back what they already took from you. If only you will comply. And now I know this is by far the longest high noon ever, but reconceive of it as Friday's episode and Saturday's episode. And hey, maybe Monday. Memorial Day is a holiday. I think I'll probably do one. But if I don't, that's why. So I want to do one more story. Just a perfect illustration of who these communists really are. This is from the Washington Examiner yesterday. Jake Dima. Bernie Sanders demands king size beds and smooth private flights when traveling, book says. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders is anything but a socialist when he hits the road, reportedly demanding his hotel room have a king size bed and be kept at a carbon burning 60 degrees. The independent senator, who has touted living a modest lifestyle and decried the country's 1%, might have some explaining to do following claims about his life outside the Capitol in Edward Isaac Dovier's battle for the soul inside the Democrats campaigns to defeat Trump. And if you can't tell by that title, Edward Isaac Dovier is a 100% communist shill. Sanders, a proponent of the Green New Deal and an avid climate activist, has amassed a list of minimum requirements before he boards his private flights, Dovier wrote. This is like a rider for a rock star. Check this out. This is a quote from the book. Charter flights were a revelation to him. He would always be a little embarrassed pulling into the private terminals. But boy, did he get a kick out of not worrying about being late for a flight that couldn't take off without him. By the beginning of 2017, his staff had put together a document laying out his minimum requirements for the kind of aircraft he'd require if asked to go on trips beyond his regular route back and forth between Vermont and Washington. Couldn't be too cramped. Couldn't be too bumpy. Staffers for the failed Democratic presidential candidate were also purportedly required to detail hotel accommodations in a list dubbed the Senator Comfort Memo. Sanders was said to have had zero tolerance for any mishaps, including a room without the preferred temperature or one that was too close to an icebox. In one reported instance, Sanders forced a hotel employee to tinker with his thermostat so he could sleep. Hotel rooms had to be away from elevators and from ice machines so that quiet was guaranteed, Dovier wrote. He didn't like getting upgrades and would often switch with an aide if he got the nicer room. If there's a bomb in there, it's yours tonight, he'd joke. But he liked sweets and he liked bathtubs and he insisted on a king size bed, which had to have a down comforter or another blanket in the closet. He preferred that extra blanket be dark blue and made of cotton. The temperature in the room had to be kept at 60, even if that required having a staffer sit in the room with an open window in the winter to make sure it cooled enough or calling management in to override the system, Dovier added. There was no bending the rules. Once on a stop in California, annoyed that his aides couldn't get the temperature below 65, he had them call the woman from the front desk up to change the thermostat while he sat on the bed watching. She couldn't get it to work and... Nervously humiliated, she apologized. Sanders didn't care. So, Chloe, he said, annoyed, 
You don't want me to sleep tonight? Dovere's book was compiled from more than 400 interviews over a four-year period. It details the battle to remove former President Donald Trump, who was thought to be unbeatable from the White House. Oh, he was thought to be unbeatable. That's interesting. The polls said differently. Oh, that would mean that the polls were wrong. Oh, got it. Sanders did not immediately respond to a request for a comment from the Washington Examiner. And of course not. Bernie Sanders has three houses. He bought vacation homes and he explained it by saying that he got $5 million for his book that he definitely sold to real people. Isn't that amazing? Bernie Sanders, the socialist, gets rich in a book deal payoff after shutting his mouth about Hillary defrauding the 2016 primaries. And now Bernie Sanders is just a nice, rich socialist who goes around campaigning for president and demanding to be treated like a rock star or else he'll put a minion in charge of opening the window on a winter night and sitting there freezing until his room is the right temperature or taking a hotel employee and watching her mess with a thermostat until he is satisfied and then getting mad at her when she doesn't work. These people are sociopaths. These people are deranged. They are communists through and through. Bernie Sanders, the nice guy communist of the Democrat Party, is a complete and utter sociopath. He is a complete fraud. How that wasn't obvious to everyone all along is beyond me. Socialism, communism, fascism, Nazism, they're all the same collectivist ideology and they are all promoted by the worst people on earth. I will be back either Monday or Tuesday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work and Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parler at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack 
I'm your moderator.substack.com where you can donate or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the range. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!